Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margaret Parker. Today, I will be speaking with James L. Wynn, MD, about the article, Time for a Neonatal-Specific Consensus Definition for Sepsis, published in the July 2014 issue of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine. Dr. Wynn is an assistant professor of pediatrics in the Department of Pediatrics, the Division of Neonatal Perinatal Medicine at Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you for joining us today, Jim. Thank you for having me, Dr. Parker. Sepsis is certainly a major concern in pediatrics and neonatology. One of the challenges in improving outcomes has been the difficulty in defining sepsis. Tell us what led you and your colleagues to focus on neonatal sepsis. So as I was a medical student and resident, I encountered many babies who had signs and symptoms concerning for sepsis, and I found that there was a lack of accuracy among our diagnostic testing methods, and this prompted me to study sepsis as a fellow in both preclinical models and in observational human studies in order to improve my understanding of the pathophysiology. Ultimately, I want to improve the outcomes for babies with sepsis. My colleagues and I believe that part of the problem is that we use a very heterogeneous definition of sepsis that complicates the accuracy of these testing methods. And so we believe we can improve these diagnostic testing methods and the outcomes, for instance, once we as a group use a more homogeneous definition. We currently have consensus definitions for sepsis in adults and for children. You made reference to multiple heterogeneous definitions of sepsis in neonates. What kinds of definitions are out there? Well, so let me start by just saying that we have those consensus definitions because they're critical to facilitate our epidemiologic studies to determine the disease prevalence to allow selection for patients for interventional clinical trials, training providers, and ultimately to improve care. And in 2005, there was an international consensus conference for pediatric sepsis, and they defined these sets of criteria for the sepsis continuum. These criteria are not often used, though, by neonatal intensive care investigators. And in those studies, most often a positive blood culture, uh, if in neonates, is equated to sepsis. And in fact, clinical signs are less often reported or included, and abnormal lab signs can be used. Duration of antibiotics, which is a highly subjective definition, is also cited as a possible definition for sepsis. Which becomes a little bit circular. Absolutely. How about premature neonates, who are also obviously a big population of concern for sepsis? So the definition for sepsis does not change despite the developmental differences. The definition still used and is held as the gold standard for sepsis is a positive blood culture. But one might imagine that a baby born 14 weeks early would developmentally have apnea of prematurity or or stopping breathing. They may have tachypnea or fast breathing. They may have developmental hypotension from having pumping against a low-resistance placental circuit and suddenly having their own systemic vascular resistance to go against. All of those features in anyone above newborn would be very concerning signs for sepsis. Fast breathing, hypotension, apnea, but yet all of those are developmentally appropriate for this very, very preterm infant. And if the gold standard definition is positive blood culture, you obviously can't afford to wait for a positive blood culture to make your management decisions about antibiotics. Exactly. So clinical suspicion often guides our empiric treatment. 
And the question is then what baby is actually infected and what baby is not infected? And a number of questions that go beyond the scope of whether or not this is the definition of sepsis also plague us. This is just the first one that we chose to, to address. Ones that might be considered are, is the infant infected? And if the infant is infected, with what? Bacteria, virus, fungus? Where is the infant infected? Is this a pulmonary infection? Is this a systemic infection? Is the central nervous system involved? Does this baby need a lumbar puncture to identify whether dissemination has occurred? An episode, a sustained episode, and then the ultimate question is, how long do you treat? And those questions are arising every day in every intensive care unit for neonates around the world. And they're probably sometimes arising outside of the intensive care unit. Everybody knows if a neonate comes in and blinks wrong, they get a rule-out sepsis workup. And... And you are exactly right. And uh, for the duration of my training, we were taught that it was always better to be safe than sorry, that the top 10 diagnoses in the NICU were 1 through 8 sepsis, uh-huh. and that, that antibiotics were safe. And what we're beginning to see is, particularly in our very preterm population, that the use of prolonged antibiotics is associated with other detrimental factors, including the risk for the development of late sepsis, which, as you are certainly aware, these preterm infants come to us in any gestational age less than 37 weeks, often have some degree of stay, but the ones that are born at 23, 4, 5, 6 weeks will be with us for two to three months at a minimum to develop the maturity necessary to go home. And during that time, they have invasive needs, total parenteral nutrition, pick lines, which increase their risk. And so those babies will often get infected and often have issues related to that. So they'll get prolonged antibiotics. They get necrotizing enterocolitis. And the risk goes up for that development of that disease when there's prolonged early antibiotic exposure. So the notion of better safe than sorry is actually not true. Hence the need for better definitions of sepsis in the premature and neonatal population. Both for the reasons of to avoid prolonged treatment in kids who do not, or neonates who do not have sepsis, and also to recognize those that do right. so that we can have better, more focused study of those patients and their progression and how we can improve short and long-term outcomes. So what can we do or what should we do to improve the diagnosis of sepsis in the neonatal population? So one of the things that I looked at was to see what the accuracy is of the international consensus definitions. And a group led by Dr. Hofer looked at about 500 term neonates, and there were no preterm neonates in there, and found that the criteria, the definitions, applied just roughly half of those babies that had culture-positive early-onset sepsis. By culture-positive, they're referring to blood. And they went back and looked among the babies with sepsis, what was the sensitivity for other criteria? And for the most part, things were pretty poor. 20% for alterations in temperature, 43% for alterations in white blood cell or neutrophil indices. 87% of those babies did have respiratory signs and a third of them had cardiovascular signs. I think it's really important to note that those are term infants and that the criteria were never designed for preterm infants. And so what I did in this manuscript was to ask, well, what is 
the likelihood that these definitions would apply to preterm infants given their developmental immaturity. And we looked at several studies that have shown the white count in a preterm infant can be almost anywhere mm-hmm. and have very little accuracy. And then the other criteria is temperature. And so I can take any preterm infant out of their <laughs> thermoregulated isolate and yep. make them hypothermic in a matter of minutes. And so those criteria for systemic inflammatory response syndrome can be met quite easily. And the last piece is the positive blood culture. And it's really important for us to distinguish a type 1 error. It's really hard to look at a positive blood culture in a baby who has had some symptoms and say, I think this is a contaminant. But those features have to be distinguished from true infection. And so my opinion about what needs to be done is first, we all have to be talking about the same thing. I think the analogy would be the one around the five blind men and the elephant. (laughs) All, all, All talking about the same thing, but perhaps from such different perspectives that we can never truly get agreement, and we can't apply each other's knowledge to address a a greater problem. And so, as you may have seen in the publication, the number of definitions and criteria that are used among studies, including my own, I don't wish to say negative things about other investigators. My publications are listed right there, and it's just not a, a homogeneous definition. When we all look at something from a different perspective, I think it's fairly self-evident that we'll see something different, and hence why the positive predictive value of testing is highly variable, and yet the negative predictive value, the absence of all of these features, is highly useful to rule out infection. That last point may be more important almost than saying what are the criteria for sepsis, because they're so varied and so nonspecific. How would you ever get consensus on a definition for sepsis in the premature and neonatal babies? And so one of the things that I think is possible is to integrate time. And I think that any clinician who's actually been at the bedside with a patient who's infected knows that that is going to get worse before it gets better and that it isn't a transient phenomena. The babies that I've taken care of that have had sepsis, that have had signs and symptoms that are prolonged, almost none of them are sick for three hours and then better. And this is where you had rightly said the concerns of a baby sneeze or looks at you funny, then there's an initiation of broad-spectrum IV antibiotics. That may be necessary, but we may be able to peel them away faster with some better negative predictive tests. But we should not, in my opinion, call that baby septic because they didn't manifest signs and symptoms consistent with sepsis. And that is, I think, the major distinguishing factor from the pediatric sepsis criteria and the criteria that are used in adults. Those children and those adults are symptomatic. If an adult comes into the ER with a blood pressure of 70 over 30, that is very different than my preterm infant with a ductus and poor cardiac output that has a blood pressure of 42 over 15, Uh uh which sounds absolutely terrifying compared to the adult world, but that's okay with me. (laughs) So I think that the major place for change is to integrate time particularly into observational studies where we're following these babies over a course of 24, 48, 72 hours Uh instead of a snapshot. The snapshot is required and was brought up by one of the reviewers of the manuscript, rightly so, but the snapshot allows you to be enrolled into a clinical trial 
but one must say if at 12 hours of life you have signs of a life-threatening illness, but at 16 hours of life you went to your mother's room and are nippling comfortably on room air, one cannot consider that baby septic any longer. And unfortunately, if that baby nippling on room air grows out a bug from their blood culture, they met criteria. And they'll be considered septic for outcomes and for interventional trials. So if my drug doesn't work, well, it wouldn't work in that baby because that baby wasn't infected. Didn't need it. Right. <laughs> and so you potentially water down the results of an investigating, investigational trial with kids who are not truly infected. And your outcomes are artificially improved right. and, and your incidence is artificially elevated. You made an argument for a consensus conference for neonatal-specific definitions. What would you include in a consensus conference? One of the things that you noted in your paper was that it shouldn't all just be neonatologists because you're all going to be a product of your training and very often have similar opinions. So who should be included in a consensus conference? Well, I would certainly say neonatologists should be included Oh, absolutely. But neonatology was not represented among the investigators that established the 2005 pediatric consensus definitions. Right. That explicitly excluded premature infants. Exactly. And yet term neonates were included. And so we, as a group, I think, have a fair amount of experience with term infants that are infected as well. And so I think neonatology should be represented on those committees. But I think that with that statement, what I was saying was that there needs to be pediatric infectious disease specialists and pediatric critical care specialists who care for those babies should they be readmitted in a month or a week. And because those babies will still have, even if they're discharged at 37 weeks corrected uh, after they've been with us for two months, they may come back in five weeks right. and have respiratory syncytial virus. And I think pediatric intensive care providers pediatric infectious disease specialists and neonatologists should combine their perspectives, again, to the elephant, that, uh, that because we all have a different perspective in what might be important. And so that was to recognize the value of my other colleagues who have been trained in different specialties. Right. What's the limitations of having a consensus conference approach to this problem? Well, I think that you hit the nail on the head that for diagnostics and for clinical suspicion that if the baby sneezes twice, this could be the beginning of the end. And so having a definition that's rigid is ultimately going to make some providers say, well, not every baby fits in there. And I would absolutely concede that. But I argue that having a completely heterogeneous definitions makes translation of your findings to my population almost impossible. Mm -hmm. And so those studies will necessarily have to be repeated at every institution. And we had this similar problem with adults in the 80s. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was that frustration of, my gosh, you cannot call this sepsis and that not sepsis. And while everything is a matter of opinion in medicine and neonatologists (laughs) are, are certainly not excluded from internal disagreement, I would argue that if The rest of the chronic problems and severe impacts in prematurity, interventricular hemorrhage, chronic lung disease, retinopathy of prematurity, necrotizing enterocolitis, even ductus, patent ductus arteriosus, respiratory distress syndrome, all have 
definitions, and they have stage definitions, intensities. Stage 1 next, stage 2 next, stage 2A, 2B, 3. So this is a stunning finding that a, a disease and a, a feared disease of this frequency is just over there and doesn't have that kind of gradation to allow us to say, here's the criteria and here's how these babies fare if they have this, if they have that. At the present time, that baby nippling on room air in their mother's room with a screening blood culture, the Grugugubri strep, is lumped in with the child who has catecholamine-resistant shock and not growing anything. Those are the same, and that's not the same. And so right. those right. that's, I think, again, a limitation. But ultimately, any definition that any group of people get together should be based on all available data and not, I say so. It should be then refined with data as often as data is available. Mm -hmm. It will just represent a starting point. And I think that that is the principle of the consensus definition. It's not for me to say this is what sepsis is to clinicians or to scientists. I would never embark uh, to do this. What I want to do is to align our efforts so that the results that you get can be extrapolated to my population. I can build upon your foundation and likewise. And I think through that, then we can really begin to advance the science and to help these babies. I think that's a, a very compelling argument you make, and you make it very well. Do you have any final comments you'd like to make? Uh, no, I just want to, again, embrace the value of all of the intensive care and infectious disease specialists that help to take care of these kids and recognize that all of our input is necessary to improve their outcomes. And I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you about this today. Well, thank you for doing so, Jim. We have been talking with Dr. James Wynn from Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee, about his article, Time for a Neonatal-Specific Consensus Definition for Sepsis, published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine in July 2014. Thank you for joining us today. This concludes another edition of the iCritical Care podcast. Please check out our website at www.sccm.org slash iCriticalCare for more information. For the iCritical Care Podcast, I'm Dr. Margaret Parker. Mark your calendar and join more than 6,000 members of the critical care community in the Valley of the Sun for SCCM's 44th Critical Care Congress to be held January 17th to 21st, 2015 in Phoenix, Arizona, USA. Visit www.sccm.org congress to register and for more information. Margaret Parker, MD, FCCM, serves as an associate editor for the iCritical Care Podcasts. Dr. Parker is professor of pediatrics at Stony Brook University in New York and is the director of the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at Stony Brook University Medical Center. A former president of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, Dr. Parker is involved in quality improvement and standardization of care in the pediatric ICU, as well as resident education. Her clinical interests include severe sepsis and septic shock in children. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email icriticalcare 
at sccm.org or info at sccm.org.